Welcome to Crisis to Comeback, your Western Colorado climate action podcast. Each episode addresses climate change in Western Colorado with a focus on Delta County. This season of Crisis to Comeback, you'll hear interviews and conversations from local voices in our community, government, renowned scientists, and experts in our Western climate. This podcast was made possible in part by the West Elk Community Fund and Citizens for a Healthy Community. I'm your host, Corey Stanton, and over the next two episodes, we'll hear from Hotchkiss, Colorado resident, Wade Pridgen. Wade is a self-described misfit from Florida. He has an extensive background in land surveying for large infrastructure projects, and he worked in the oil and gas industry from 2014 to 2021. Wade is now retired and spends his days living in an RV on his little bit of land with his two dogs. I asked Wade how he ended up in the North Fork Valley. I ended up in Hotchkiss because, really, the pandemic. I traveled around and was able to see all the different areas of Colorado, and I fell in love with this environment and connection that our Mother Earth has right here. It's so precious. It just, like, hit me right in the face, and I said, i got to live the rest of my life right here. I ended up buying a little spit of land here in Hotchkiss, and didn't know whether I could develop it or not. And that wasn't really what was important because there was a connection there too for Mother. And I just wanted to get it to save it for her. Mm. That was my goal. So that's why I'm here. I live in an RV and enjoying every minute that I'm here. I'm blessed. Yeah. I've come from a god-awful city of Houston, Texas before I retired. And I'm so Glad that I got out of there with my life. Hmm. It's that bad there. Wow. Not just with, you know, crime, but with the environment too, okay? Mm -hmm. Seriously. Well, when did you get involved in working in the oil and gas industry? Well, um, I lived in a little small town there in Florida, Pensacola, Florida. Uh, Highly conservative. Obama took the office. Conservatives took a dive, and I ended up losing my 25-year job that I had there. And I had, you know, I tried to make a living selling insurance and things like that, and nothing was going to pay the bills like that. Okay, mm-hmm. so I ended up in uh, Pennsylvania, a little town called Washington, Pennsylvania, right there, and right in the heart of the oil and gas. Um, production that was going on and worked for an energy company. My forte before that was highways, bridges, and airports and everything, you know, with high commercial and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. As far as like an infrastructure, infrastructural background? Yeah, infrastructure background? and commercial uh, development, even subdivisional development there in Florida, okay. You know, doing... Uh, state and government work on highways and roads and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Project managing? No, I was, I am a uh, professional land surveyor okay. registered in several states. And, you know, I just moved up the ladder and became manager of those departments. Okay, so I provided the mapping for, you know, full service architectural engineering firms. And anyway, I ended up in oil and gas because, you know, I had that background of putting pieces of the puzzle together and uh, and then it moved into construction and then 
you know. So I worked with teams building pipelines for uh, the company I retired from, Williams Gas, doing projects from Washington State all the way to New York State. Wow. And that company does that kind of big pipeline. I'm telling you, we're talking interstate pipelines. Now, I wore my shirt today just to show you, okay? Mm -hmm. I don't know, can you read anything on it? So Williams, uh, something, anyway. is it Enterprise or Sunrise or? <laughs> Atlantic Sunrise. Okay. 200 mile pipeline project in Pennsylvania. Took us five years and Williams is good. You know, I, I, I want to say they're positive. They do conservation efforts. They're stewards of the, of the uh, conservation and environment. They really are. And they contributed to the local communities where the pipeline was impacting them and so forth. Like they in made, a financial aspect or? Yeah, they funded uh, projects, you know, for conservation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they do a good job of being stewards like that in that aspect. But there is no adequate steward these days for our climate change. There isn't. What's the opposite of that look like? A company that isn't making local contributions and yeah there's a lot of uh i came from texas so believe me there's a lot of companies that you know it's all about the almighty dollar mm -hmm. nothing else yeah they don't want to deal with it if there's an incident they don't want to deal with it because it costs money they just want mother to take care of it they want our earth mother to take care of it just like the forestry service right now and i'm being negative by saying that but that's that's just how far the opposite what was a, a day on the job like for you, building a pipeline? Well, it was quite a bit of up and ups and downs, okay, because we did impact a lot of people in their lives. And one of the most significant thing, uh, you know, incidents was how we impacted a property that was owned by nuns. And that they took, you know, faith in our mother that we need to protect this property. But it didn't happen. We actually continued, you know, we were able to impact their property even though they, they wanted that kind of right. Okay. So was the pipeline literally going through the property or you were yeah. just, yeah. Yeah. How big of a pipe, you know, we can see each other because we're in person, but for the listeners who can't see... Do you have any, like, I don't know how large a pipe is for a pipeline? Well, they do vary, okay? And it's all based on the amount of flow that they want to supply, okay? Mm -hmm. They don't, they, they have, a, you know, a business. You know, it's all about the almighty dollar, okay? That, you know, we need to supply this much fuel for a power plant or whatever, okay? And most of the times, that's how it gets started, okay? It's a big demand like that. Okay. And then the community was able to get benefit from the flow of the gas and so forth. But it starts mm -hmm. with that. And they give those companies the power of intimate domain. And, you know, they have to go through FERC regulations and review and processes. I know you heard about that, FERC. They 
have the ultimate decision to say yes and no, okay? It comes down to a judge telling the person that, yeah, this is going to happen. And you got to, you know, you got to accept this money and move on. That is a sad day. People are losing, you know, their rights, their legacies, all that, because of fossil fuel, the demand for it. And so when did things start to shift for you as far as your viewpoint of your work and the oil and gas industry as a whole? Was there like a tipping point? Well, it was more of um, getting more connected with our Earth Mother and realizing that she needs our help so much more now. But I was thinking, you know, I was feeling and being compassionate with all the property rights, owner property owner rights and judges' rulings and stuff like this. And before I actually switched over to the other side, okay? To the good side. So I was always kind of toiling with it, you know, in my mind. <laughs> but if you got to get out there and pound the pavement every day to put food on the table, that's pretty big of a distraction. And it keeps you blinded by what's really going on. So you're making pretty good money. I was making fairly, you know, for my profession. I was a licensed professional, yes. So I was getting paid, you know, good. Do you know what, like... But all the people that I work with, they got paid so much more, you know what I mean? I wasn't nowhere at the top, you know, or anywhere close to it, you know. No. What were some of their salaries like? Hundreds of thousands, millions? No, I would say, you know, three to five hundred thousand, you know, annually, like that, you know. Yeah. But uh, I'm not, you know, I'm still guessing. I never really, nobody ever told me that, you Uh know what I mean? But, you know, how you're around people and what they have and everything, gosh, you know, right. it's yeah. pretty obvious. But listen, you know, I got more connected with Mother by moving here with this fantastic environment in Norfolk Valley. And I just had to be a soldier for her. I really did. And I live every day now, or every uh, week, let's say, working for Mother one day, and then working for myself, I don't work anymore. I'm retired, you know, but I play, okay? But I live by that. I, all right, today's for mother. Tomorrow's like my play day or whatever. What are some things that you do for mother? Well, I water her. You know, I plant uh, trees and shrubs and food, you know, vegetables and things like this on that little spit of land over there in Hotchkiss. Mm-hmm. And then I also try to, you know, help the environment. I haul compost in there. And that little spit of land has really saved my life because I was so inactive and so unhealthy and eating and everything. I have done a complete 180 in my life by being connected. You know, I live with uh, prostate cancer, okay? And... You know, I, I, yeah, that's just a way of life anymore once you get it. But anyway, uh, I'm so much more healthier. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're retired. You're doing all sorts of good stuff for Mother Earth. But you said you do stuff for fun, too. What is that? Like fun? fishing or, yeah, what do you do for fun? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I have two puppy dogs. And, of course, we're the three stooges all the time. <laughs> I love it. But... uh 
we just go and meet and talk to people all the time and just enjoy the fellowship and the community and the environment. Well, so based on what you know, what you've seen firsthand, what do you think will create change as far as reversing climate change? Absolutely. All right, I'll tell you. For every dollar you spend for fossil fuel, you need to spend another dollar for decarbonization to null it out. That's the mentality that needs to happen today for any kind of change. We have lived in a legacy of the last 20, 30 years, whatever you want to call it, of denial. Just money-grubbing, greedy tactics. And we've all been over and let them do it. We got to stand up and say, no, if you want to use fossil fuels, you got to pay twice for it. That's the only reality, and that's the only way out of this. And that money, the extra money for decarbonization needs to be spent right there where the impacts are happening to create jobs, you know, good, good uh, decarboning jobs or whatever. You know what I mean? Free energy, you know, making energy without all the carbon emissions and so forth. So we got to train people. We got to spend the money in the right place. And the only way that we can get the money is with that tactic right there. And it boils down to every individual or company or government uh, employee or mayor or governor or whatever. We all have to do our part to pay for this god-awful mess we got ourselves or allowed ourselves to get into. It's at a breaking point. It really is. And once you realize that, and you wake up to it, that's the real job. It's no longer turning a blind eye to it. I uh, purchased a, uh, an e-bike for this year just so I could reduce my carbon uh, 50% this year. Wow. Yeah. That's great. And I got a little, I got a little <laughs> dog carrier that I pull behind <laughs> my little puppy dogs. <laughs> oh, I got to see now, this. Granted, I... I situated myself with, within like two miles or whatever sure. that I need to travel and yeah. so forth. <laughs> well, I like that. I love what you just said about a dollar per dollar. Yeah, that's, that's where we're at today. If we had started 20 years ago or whatever, it wouldn't have been like that. But today, that's what it is. Yeah, now it feels like the pressure's really on. And... Well, now's the time to start doing things. And we don't have the money to do it with. So that's the only way to get the money and make it right. Because all the big corporations or whatever, they're not going to give any money. They already got their money running, you know? So the, the cards are on the table right now, just like a poker game right now. You know, all the money is right there. We need to put the money in the right bucket mm-hmm. and start making things happen. And we can't do that without changing that kind of philosophy about fossil fuel. It's got to be that drastic now to start turning the tide here. The state level needs to be at the highest level of regulations and so forth. And the local government, the little brother, needs to at least have a, um, a master plan to follow that, okay? The one thing that gets my goat about this whole talk about climate change and management and so forth is that all business 
and all people are blinded by it, want to sit over there and say, they're, you know, they're, we have to stay in denial because we can't change this. We have to stay in denial. But that's not true. There's a transition period, too. And you can transition from one source of energy to the other and, and jobs to the other. It's just a transition. And we can do the right thing. And there's, the science is starting to build for that. Mm-hmm. And we need to act now. <laughs> I mean, they, they still want to put oil and gas leases out there in vulnerable areas, put pipelines in, access roads, and, and facility sites and so forth. And we know how volatile our environment, our climate is right now. We have no science whatsoever to substantiate what they design out there that's going to hold up and what our climate's going to change to. None. And then when we have a real incident because of that lack of concern, you know, it gets into our watershed. It, gets, it starts polluting what we have and so forth. Yeah, Mother is going to challenge that. Whatever man puts in, she could take out. We know that. We've seen it. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. So how can you, in confidence, say that, yeah, you can put this facility in, it's going to hold up? We can't do that anymore. It's changed. Mm-hmm. Have you been on one of the eco flights? Have you gone on one of those? No, I haven't. I've, I've heard about it, and I think that uh, whatever we can do to try to open up people's minds and whatever, do it all. I got to go and it was incredible to see how lush our valley is and up by Crested Butte area. And then we flew over Rifle. Oh yeah, I heard of that. And it, I mean, I could show you pictures or video on my phone and it was horrific looking in comparison to the green, lush, vibrancy and we were really blessed with a great snowpack yeah, and, and that, lots of water this excuse year excuse me for saying this but you know that energy company wants to just go in there and rape what mother had in there and then walk away and that's what we're allowing to happen these days and have been for the last 20 years or more that was wade pridgen former oil and gas employee turned climate activist you can check out part two of this conversation on next week's episode You've been listening to Crisis to Come Back, your Western Colorado climate action podcast, produced and hosted by me, Corey Stanton, and occasionally co-hosted by Alan Harvey. Crisis to Come Back is a local and regional weekly short-form podcast that explores the impacts of climate change and the state of warming in Delta County and Western Colorado, and local climate actions taken by individual citizens, businesses, and government. Get informed, inspired, and empowered by listening to these short episodes, and become a part of the solution to addressing our rapidly changing local climate. This podcast was made possible in part by the West Elk Community Fund and Citizens for a Healthy Community. If you have questions, comments, or want to learn more about this podcast, please reach out to us by emailing crisis to come back at chc the number four you.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>